I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast presented by Zwift. Here we have a wrap-up of the Theratizit Challenge by La Vuelta, a uh, five-stage race at the finishing on the same day as the men's world today, but finishing very early, the final stage uh, in Madrid, a sprint finish. To let you know about the parkour, it was a TTT to start, a 20K one two, then the hardest GC stage, stage 206 Ks with uh, five categorized climbs two cat ones so that was by far the hardest stage then like a typical burgos uh grace brown style stage 96 k's aguilar de campo is like a a, a plateau it must be the same area it, it looks too similar uh then stage four was like a punchy stage uphill technical pave finish and then the final stage is a sprint stage uphill sort of drag to madrid so it was all about really the first two stages yeah in contrast to the tour de france femme avec zwift which backloaded the gc stages but i should remind people of uh also the start list no vibers here there's yastrab lippert uh balsmo was the best sprinter did you trek brought at least along borghini and their strongest team i feel like trek I don't know. They're almost better than SD Works this year. That might be statistically incorrect, but I feel like they're impacting more races and just winning more. Is that just the Balsamo effect? I think it's not solely the Balsamo effect. I think there's a big factor that Balsamo joined that team, and I think that plays a tactical role. I think that Trek's a tactically better team than SD Works, and as a consequence, they come out with more strategic ways of trying to win races and they're more prevalent in stages that are where tactics are necessary and we've seen a few times like Roubaix is a perfect example of that in Roubaix Trek had good tactics SD Works had bad tactics and as a consequence Trek ends up winning that race that's a big race to win and it's one of those races where that happens I think Binda was won by Balsamo because of their tactics as well to go for Balsamo and not longer Borghini and I think that plays a big role there and what was intriguing in this team time trial, this first team time trial that we've got in this race at a Tizzy Challenge, is that SD Works has Volring at the start line, Fisher Black and so forth. But it became very clear that they weren't going to try and keep Fisher Black up there in GC anyway. Like, it's all like Volring here, which is understandable because Volring, to the front's thumb, second best GC rider by far. And in general, I'd argue that she is the second best GC rider in the world. The only person that you could claim to have that spot as well as a Cavalli, but we didn't see her in that Tour de France thumb. And uh, yeah, thus we don't know that. Also, we didn't see her in this race, for example, either. Now, SD works pretty decent time, but it became uh, very clear that one team was with the best team at this team time trial, and that was Trek Segafredo. Like you said, the strongest team on paper on this race is what I would argue. Yeah, I'd say that. And a Shackley and Fisher Black strong riders at SD works. Vosh has been a bit 
I don't know. I think we might have overhyped Vaj because of our cyclocross time. You have the same idea about Vaj being a bit not necessarily disappointing, but not doing the expectations that were maybe too high. Um, I'm not sure if it's the CX. I, I I feel like we've commented on this before, and maybe she's had injuries this year. Uh, it's more the World Championships. She yeah. came fourth last year and she's 21 years old so yeah i was looking through her results and yeah she hasn't kicked on this year i don't know if there's a reason for that but yeah i thought frankly she'd be i I thought she was like the next boss possibly or like that's a big <laughs> a big step up but yeah. you know what i mean i thought she's the next punchy sort of rider like that but yeah trek win the ttt uh, by a, six seconds on Bike Exchange, Jayco, their women's team has been extremely good this year. 11 seconds on FGJ with Brown as their GC leader. I think ahead of Ludwig, but not entirely sure. SD Works on 23, Movistar 25, DSM 44, Canyon Shram a minute in seventh. So big gaps on the first uh, team time trial. And yeah, that puts Longaborgini in the box seat, at least for a podium for GC. Yeah, certainly. Now... Obviously, we need to keep in mind that the second stage is the one where the bigger gaps will occur. That's the one you mentioned earlier with five categorized climbs on it. I'd argue that if you look at the parkour, knowing the length of the race, that it was likely that the second last climb was going to be the one that action started occurring. But you never know, you know, because Von Vleuten, when she goes, she goes. And sometimes it's fairly early on in the stage. Sometimes it's fairly late in the stage. And we were fortunate broadcast-wise that the real hit came on the second last climb, the Alto Fuente Las Varas, we had two riders that were up the road, including the likes of Lucinda Brand, and those two riders got caught on the Alto Fuente Las Varas as we had Movistar setting up Van Vleuten's attack on that second last climb. Six kilometers, 6%, enough for Van Vleuten to do damage, clearly, because she made her first hit, and it's like, when Van Vleuten goes, it's like she ups the ante, she ups the watch that she does for X amount of time, and then she goes, drops that a bit again. Then she ups it again. Then she drops that a bit again. It's so intriguing because the first time she does that, there's like three, four riders that can still follow. And that is the likes of a Volring, obviously, who, as I said, was one of the stronger riders GC-wise in a race like this. Lippert as well, one of the riders that can follow. Longoborghini as well. I think Mavi Garcia was in there as well. I think those five riders formed a bit of a group on that climb. And then Van Vleuten does exactly the same again, that same exact move. And that's when a Volring could follow only. And that's when the others start dropping. A Mavi Garcia, a Lippert. I think Lippert dropped first. Mavi Garcia dropped second. And then eventually um, Longoborghini also dropped. I don't know if it was, it was before the other two or after the other two, but she also dropped with those two other riders. And Van Vleuten and Volring were up the road again. Again, Van Vleuten, same exact tactic, ups the waltz a bit, and Volring. Not necessarily snaps, she keeps a rhythm, but she can't keep the rhythm that Von Vleuten is holding on this climb, which is an issue if you want to try and win this race. And that's when the descent comes uh, to mind. And I think we spoke about this before. We see suddenly that Lippert, Longoborghini, come back to Volring in the next portion of the race. But Mavi Garcia, who was ahead of Lippert, is unable to do that. And I didn't see her crash in the descent, but is it be- she wasn't a great descender, right, Mavi Garcia? I vaguely remember something no, terrible. like that. Terrible. That's no. probably the reason. 
yeah, Lippert, she's off to Movistar next year on a three-year deal, I think, but she's yep. pretty pretty good bike handler. Longo Bordaghini, I think, is not too bad too. So even with a 6K, 6% climb, a 3K, 8% climb, even with uh, those cresting 15Ks from the finish, Van Vleuten's able to put 216 into Longo Borghini and Lippert Vollering. So that's pretty much race over <laughs> on the stage two, um, given the parkour to come afterwards. 216 is a huge gap. Uh, Ludwig, Nuviadoma, Persico, Shabby, Labou, Shackley, Garcia, Santesteban, and uh, Chapman were... Oh, Chapman was in 336 group. The others were on uh, 250. So I, I misspoke. Brown lost a lot more time than Ludwig uh, on this stage. So yeah, Van Vleuten... This is the Tour de France Femme of Swift. We spoke at length about parkour design, backloading it for AVV not to just come out and take the jersey easily at the start. I guess Voss wore it easily for like five stages or so. Um, but that's what sort of happened in this race. And I don't know, it's just, it is what it is. <laughs> takes yeah. a huge lead and the pressure's off. Although the, that still means she has to control throughout the race. It means she might be attacked on the on the next stage. And as a reminder, or to let you know, on the 27th of October, the route of the Tour de France Femme of Exuive 2023 will be announced. I'm not sure if that's in like... 50 days or less. My math isn't so good at the moment. Um, so that's obviously going to be a big event. It was a big event last year in Paris. I think I'll be going uh, once again. And we'll see, speaking of route design, when we'll be analyzing it afterwards, what will the Tour de France Femme of Swift 23 route look like? Mm-hmm. Will they backload it again? Will they make it easier? Will they have two hard mountain stages and a planche de Belfi finish? I'm keen to see what it looks like, what learnings there have been uh, from year one before we go to stage three i actually uh, agree when it comes to the parkour design but i also remember last year in seratizi channel uh, challenge not channel that's youtube but when it comes to seratizi challenge didn't we have the uh a stage initially where someone took time then the second stage which was an itt and then i think Royster was ahead in gc or something when she was not on his d works yet and Dan van Vleuten did that crazy attack on day three, obliterating everybody on the first climb or something. I remember something vaguely like that. I swear she took two minutes and a half or something on stage three last year, van Vleuten. And then the stage four was again flat and kind of irrelevant for GC in the same way that you just said about this year. This year it's more because this stage becomes earlier in this, in this uh, well, not Grand Tour. I'm not sure if we can call this a Grand Tour with five stages. But yeah, I agree. Just in general. Stage three, go ahead. Yeah, that was, I think, a softer stage. It had like a 15K, 3% climb, and AVV took uh, 250 on it. So, yeah, uh, that's what she can do. And it makes it difficult for race organizers um, to try and have a balanced race. But, yeah, stage three was this sort of plateau finish. It had an extended, like an 18K, 3.2% climb. AVV was in the driver's seat. So there's a reasonable size group. Uh, at the top of that on this plateau in uh, to Aguilarte Campo. And we're, we're talking like 25 riders deep. Uh, it had dropped, it was, it dropped the sprinters like a Bastianelli. I think Balsamo had made it over and Capecchi though and Sierra. So, and Alexandra Manley. So she's, fa- there, she's fast as well. But 
riders like Shabby, Kanye Shram, they don't have a sprinter. It's Nuvi Doma and Shabby. And FDJ with Chapman and Grace Brown, they wanted to counterattack. And that's what they did. There were yeah. attacks. AVV has no interest in marking those. She, if they're not a GC threat, which uh, Grace Brown lost eight minutes the day before. And so it's up to SD Works to chase, which is actually good, or Tractor Chase, which is a good outcome for Van Vleuten. So I swear Benji Grace Brown is like on sort of 3% climbs and then a plateau afterwards. She's almost like you can book her attacking and that attack sticking every time. Yeah. Although I think this time around she needed like twice to actually make it happen. I think she got away with Croc earlier. And then eventually, by the way, Krak doing really well so far this season after, I think, some great results in the last month somewhere as well. And now, together with Brown in the attack, didn't really work out, goes with Shabby again, and that attack sticks. But what was the most intriguing part of the stage was not necessarily um, the attack of Grace Brown. That move stuck. That kept on going. She kept on, well, they kept on going towards the line, Shabby and brown but the aspect of the sprint that came afterwards the sprint between the two reminded me of the tour de swiss last year the women's tour de swiss where we had a sprint between shabby and dignan and i swear shabby last year tried to make sure that dignan had to open up her sprint early or triggered her to open her sprint early i vaguely remember something like that leading to shabby winning the sprint of the two is that also in your head? Because I swear she tried the same here and it didn't work with Brown. I think she she like started a couple of times. I didn't, I was reading it as maybe nervousness, but the group mm -hmm. behind was so far behind. In the end, I think you're right because when they actually do open up the sprint and Brown just waits so long, and, and I was like, when you sing it from the front on, you cannot see where the finish is. And you're like, oh, Brown's not getting in the draft at all what's mm -hmm. going on and you realize they've opened up literally six seconds from the line like i've never seen people go that close to the line <laughs> and then start opening it up so yeah shabby was playing it i guess she was trying to trigger brown as you said and brown beats her in the sprint only eight seconds i think ahead of the gc group behind so no uh important gc movement apart from shabby actually oh, sorry does uh, go ahead of Chapman at that point. But yeah, Bolsmo won the group sprint behind, which was indicative. It was the first group sprint we'd had because it was a TTT and a mountainous stage before of what was to come on the Madrid stage, which was the only, let's call it, pure bunch sprint in, in the race. Because the next stage, this was uh, a pretty interesting one. Anna Kiesenhofer, I think, was because she's on a team, but then she, because it was a Conti team, she got permission yeah. to, or she was running for a different team here, the Olympic champion of last year. Uh, she's running for Soltech, and so that she could ride in Theratis at Challenge La Vuelta. And she targeted this stage because it started with like a collection of 2K 5% climbs, about seven of them. And then it was flat. And then it was like an uphill punchy finish, 2.4Ks, 3.5%, I think, but it was steeper than that in parts, very technical. And she went on a 150-kilometer solo. And <laughs> you could see, it's actually, you can tell, she is more advanced in her stage planning, in her equipment choices, in the way she wears that equipment, the position she adopts on the bike. She is more advanced, more clued into that than 
a significant portion of men's world tour riders and you can tell the men's world tour riders who do focus on it you look at her position stable she is not moving at all and this is 145 k's in her socks are at her knees um like for air, the aero <laughs> benefit she's got the aero helmet on and yeah it's really impressive one thing i see in that is that she's got this as a rider imagine what her value will be after her cyclist career if she wants to go into a ds or advisory role in teams i see value in that a kisenhofer in that role as well after her career but it also confirms that She's been very close on every single stage here so far, like top 30 on literally every stage of Seda Tizid, I think, except for perhaps stage five. So she's consistently showing that she is a deserving world tour rider if she wants to go that way. She's now signing up in this race as a Conti rider, and she goes in the breakaway in similar fashion as we had in the Olympics last year in Tokyo. And the gap is significant, like... She's seven minutes behind NGC before the stage starts. They give her a gap of nine minutes. I was already like, oh... Once again, they're miscalculating here. They're miscalculating, but the gap started dropping very swiftly at a certain point towards the end of this race because other teams were like, okay, we can't give her this stage. We, we, we got to try and win as well. And they've also got earbuds, so they know that Kiesenhofer is ahead this time around. So they started pacing there. They close it down slowly but surely, but it's really that gravel section on the last climb, the Tramo de Terra, that I think that's the one that necked her because she was looking good still with 30 kilometers to go. But on that gravel section, the, the second started going down and down and down. It was a pretty rough gravel section as well. It's weird to see that there's so many gravel sections in, in women's world tour races. <laughs> and in men's world tour races like Montalcino and Giro and Strade. And that's the only thing we can manage there. But in women's cycling, it's like in Tour de France Femme, in the Vuelta. like. It's everywhere. Cool to see, but there's the aspect that it, I think it broke Kisenhofer's attempt to win this stage, right? Yeah, I think so. And she got some help. FDJ were pacing, maybe interested in a ground. Like, lots of teams are interested. Kopecky uphill, good for her and Vollering. Ludwig and Brown, that's nice for, for uh, FDJ. DSM, Lippert, also she should be you know, top three this stage. So there's even Balsamo, frankly, or Lisa Longa Borghini. So that's the problem for her is that there were too many teams willing to help Movistar in the end. And that benefited Van Vleuten as well. But in the end, we had this uphill finish. There's heartbreak for Kiesenhofer. She's caught with 900 meters to go. And the, I, re- I reiterate, like really impressive performance. And I agree that some teams could like it would be worth just reach out to her and say, how do you plan for a stage? Like, how do you identify the right stage profiles? How do you develop a plan for it? Like, she must know something or have the skills better than average, an average DS, I would think, yeah. in terms of of that particular skill set. But this stage, she's caught unfortunately, and we have a small group sprint where Lippet she always launches, she launches very early, and she's followed by Vollering and this Kapeki there. And I didn't, I watched it back multiple times. I couldn't really figure out who was supposed to be leading out who. I couldn't figure out, is it Vollering leading out Kapeki, but Kapeki doesn't have the legs. In the end, Kapeki gets boxed in badly. It's extremely technical. It's not consistently uphill. Like the steep parts and it's flat and fast. It's pave. There's turns. It's very, very technical, this finish. 
And Kopecky kind of gets boxed out of it. And Persico comes around the outside late and beats Vollering. Now, Persico, that's her first world tour race. But if you remember from the Tour de France farm of X-Wift, she ran very close, I think, on stage two where Mariana Voss, it was a similar uphill finish to Provin. Um, and there's no shame in losing to Voss, but there's no Mariana Voss here. And so she's able to win the stage, goes into the points jersey, uh, I believe, and that's her first ever World Tour win. So she's obviously a huge talent. She she told everyone that uh-huh. in the Tour de France Femme Vec Swift, now beating Vollering, Longaborghini, Kopecky, Lippert, and Van Flirten with a small gap to Ludwig, even... Nivia Dome is the surprise to me, Benji, in ninth on 11 seconds. I think she she must have been out of position because she should be, as a puncher, at least finishing with the group here. I think so as well. Now, I will agree with you that SD Works is the part of this finish that I don't get. We see Volring sit at the front while while pacing for a bit, but not pacing at a tempo that is cruciating to keep Kopecky towards the front. Kopecky not necessarily in her wheel directly either at this point with about, I think, 500 meters, something like that, 600 meters. And Von Vleuten goes on the left of Volring, and Volring is still able to like accelerate, so she wasn't riding that tempo to keep their position all right. So I felt like it looked like the situation where you've got two riders where they both kind of want to go for their own chances. So a Volring is being said to lead out Kopecky, Kopecky's not really in the perfect position in the wheel of Volering, and Volering probably says to herself, well, i got to keep some energy for myself. Like, it felt like that. And when you do that, then you're not going to get a victory here. And I think Persico, her technicalities, her technique definitely helps, I think. Uh, oh, she's the extra, that's right. Yeah, I think she, um, in that gravel stage in the Tour de France film, yeah. wasn't she the rider that was like... No Doing hands. Doing something? No hands? Yeah, yeah. No hands. <laughs> Took the musette or something on the gravel section whilst half-wheeling Volering. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, her, it was very, very technical. Um, and, yeah, she got the job done. So, that also gave her, as I said, a nice lead in the points jersey. She just had to – actually, no, I didn't give her a nice lead. I think she was level on long, at least along a Borghini. Uh, and going into the final stage, Elise Longaborghini was still in second behind Vollering. Uh, no, in front of Vollering, sorry, behind Van Vleuten and a decent gap because of that team time trial at the start. So SD Works just trying to hang on to the podium, really, and Lippert hadn't been able to take enough bonus seconds. She was 20 or so seconds behind Lippert. But the final stage, sprint stage, it's between Kopecky and Balsamo. I was interested to see how Megan, uh, Megan, sorry, Yastrab, um, although she might say Jastrab because she is not Dutch, she is American, um, who's extended until 2025 with the uh, with DSM with Lorena Vibers leaving. So I was like, well, is she going to be their A sprinter next year? Um, I was interested to see how she would go in this sprint. They do not have, though, their A lead out of Pfeiffer Georgie. There is Mackay here, though. Um, and in the end, Trek Segafredo uh, come up a little bit light with about 600 meters to go. It's Elisa Longobotagini in front of Balsamo, and Balsamo lets the wheel go. Kopecky has pretty much nobody to lead her out. Bike exchange, I think, had a rider in the break and leading out for Alexandra Manley, and that allows Balsamo to sit in the wheels, waits, waits, and then Elisa Longobotagini is brought back and uh, I think Balsamo was side by side or maybe just behind Kopecky. She makes sure to, she goes right around. She uses 
Longoborghini coming back as an obstacle. Gapecki's wheels overlapped left in front of the, I think it might have been Jastra in front of her, and she goes left, and so there's no draft for Gapecki, and Bolsonaro's faster. So she gets the gap initially with no draft. It's never been closed by Gapecki, and she wins, posts up with 30 metres to go, kisses the, the world champs jersey. <laughs> Gapecki second, Bastianelli third, Jastrab fourth, um, Bertit Solo fifth, Confolonieri uh, sixth, the UAE team, a little bit curious. They kind of both sprinted for themselves. I think Solo finished very, very fast, actually. Bastianelli was just following Capecchi in the draft. She couldn't get out of it. But, yeah, great tactics by Trek, Benji, and the Italian combination of Bolsonaro and Longoborghini has just been unbelievable this year. Yeah, ruthless, and the aspect of Persico being in form and so forth, I'm looking forward to see what that women's team at Worlds will look like. Now, with Balsamo, I think she's actually saying her rainbow jersey potentially goodbye because this might be the last race before the Worlds happen. I'm not 100% certain. I'm, I'm thinking so. Now, I will add that I was kind of expecting Consani to be here in this sprint because she's at the race and she ends up on, in a group on seven, uh, on seven seconds. So something must have gone wrong when it comes to her because I personally rate Chiara Consani as a better sprinter than Lotto Kopecki on a pure sprint. I That might be a questionable take, but that's how I see it. Is that a valid take, you think? Uh, Kopecki's not looked as fast, has she, this year? I don't know. She looked like, obviously, Unreal Classics rider and beat Van Vleuten in, what was it, Tour of Flanders in the head-to-head sprint. Yep. But, yeah, I sort of agree in a pure bunch sprint, and particularly when the lead out for SD Works isn't always fantastic, although Royce yeah. was setting up, I believe. Um, but speaking of world championships, I mean, Bolsmo, there's no world championships curse for her. She has won nine races this year, six at world tour level, including two, no, three one-day classics, Binder, Brugge de Pana, and Gen Wevelhem, and the national chance for Italy. So she, even if she doesn't um, win, she must, I haven't seen the Italian team for world champs. I would take her. You have to take her. I know the course is punchy, but you look at that Binder result, you look at the Dutch team and their issues riding with each other in the last few years. I think with Elisa Longo-Borghini by her side, and if the Dutch team don't coordinate properly, I think Elisa Longo-Borghini's a, no, uh, Balsam has a real chance to win the world championships again. Even when it comes to the punchy side of things, I think Persico is one of those riders that could also do well. So they've got True. multiple options. Longoborghini can also compete with attacks, although I think the win rate of Longoborghini is more difficult because she, she doesn't have that on. sprint. Yeah, she could be that rider that attacks with other riders that are maybe faster and sits on their wheel to try and neutralize them, is what you're saying, right? Exactly. Say I've got Balsamo behind, sit on them and just be irritating like that. Um, and especially it doesn't finish uphill on the 9% climb. It is quite steep, but it is a flat finish, I think. So Lisa Balsamo and the Italian team is looking very, very good. And also just their coordination and chemistry. Like you can't underrate how important that is that those two ride on the same trade team and yeah. they work well in the international events. It's yeah, I think they're a very, very dangerous team, whereas Kopecky, the Belgian team, is a little <laughs> bit lighter. Um, so even though I think the course is really good for Kopecky, um, 
don't know. We'll, we'll do a World Champs preview properly. But in terms of riders looking good, Balsamo is looking very, very good indeed as well as her co-part, oh, co-pilot uh, Longo Borghini. In terms of GC, though, Annemiek van Vlerten, who probably will be the favourite still for that World Championships road race, wins by 144 ahead of Longo Borghini, 211 ahead of Vollering, then Lippert Ludwig Santasteban, uh, Shackley, Lebu, Shabby, and Naviadoma rounding out the top 10. So Annemiek van Vlerten does the triple. Yep. Giro, Tour, La Vuelta. That's the triple. Yeah, but like, there's always a question now. Like, Giro, Tour, Vuelta, triple here. I I low-key feel like when it comes to the Giro Rosa and the Tour de France Femme, those two races I see at like top level of women's cycling. For some reason, the Seratizzi Channel cha- Challenge, I'll keep saying it wrong, Jesus Christ. Like, that one doesn't seem to be on the same level for me and i rate it on a similar level as like a tour of scandinavia for example do you feel that like that's wrong i think it's it's kind of like men's cycling in that mm-hmm. the prestige goes tour giro vuelta um and it is a shorter race it's five stages the giro rosa is 10 the tour de france femme of egg swift is eight i think they're they might be trying to extend that for next year too. So that plays into it as well in that, yeah, how would you, if, if uh, I don't know, Burgos, like Vuelta Burgos often has a very, very good start list. Yeah. In, and it's a world tour race in women's cycling, unlike men's cycling, and it's five stages. Like we had Van der Bregen against Van Vleuten on a pure mountaintop finish last year and Laguna Stenaya this year. So, if it's if they're both five stages, if the start lists are you know are weaker, then yeah, you you have to say it's not necessarily a grand tour as you said earlier. That being said, to do the triple like that, extremely impressive. She also won Liège, Omloop, second in Flanders, second in Stradbianca, second in Flesh, absolutely, and won uh, Valenciana in February. Absolutely outrageous season. <laughs> so far from Van Flurten. And I think, yeah, world champs. She's looking good. She is looking good for world champs. Yeah. She did, what was it? She did a, woke up early and did a 50K training ride to acclimatize <laughs> to Australian time during the Vuelta. It's crazy the preparation that she goes into, but it's what, it's what drives her and it's what makes her that level extra compared to the competition and her hard work and her adaptability towards like time zones to be better at certain races that's what gives her that extra uh to potentially win the world championships in uh Wollongong at the end of uh well it's I would say at the end of this year but it's like in within the next like three weeks so I'm not sure that's at the end of this year but it's that extra and it's also pretty cool to see like the stories are are crazy her riding on on training cams with the men of bike exchange at some point as well that kind of stuff those stories are inspirational i think for a lot of uh women cyclists and i think yeah it drives her and it shows that she's fucking great yeah i mean to be honest i don't actually know if it helps yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like i'm trying to just think I, it sounds great right oh it's so driven but i'm like but if she wakes up early to do the ride and then still goes to the sleep at the same time doesn't that mean she just got less sleep or is it getting used to <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I'm sure she's smarter than me. I'm not a sports scientist. But doesn't that mean you just get less sleep? Um, I don't know. I don't know her schedule. 
<laughs> Europeans. You you you're all you're not built for the jet lag when you go to Australia. <laughs> I book it now. The amount of complaints about jet lag because they're going to be traveling into the future in Australia. All the you know, Coles and Fry's just like nut. Nah. He's like, I don't. <laughs> I don't go to the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> I'm just not doing it. I, I'd be the third favorite for the race, but you can get fucked. Anyway, there's going to be a lot of those complaints. Van Vleuten won't be one of them because she's adapted. Anyway, that was Love Welter. Hope you enjoyed the roundup uh, and this the style and fashion in which we did it. Let us know. Feedback's always welcome, and we'll see you with the recap of the last stage in the men's race in Madrid later today. Till then, ciao. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 